You're listening to another life-transforming message from Awakened Church with campuses in San Diego and Salt Lake City. To find out more about us, go to awakenedchurch.com. When I look at this building, totally going off of my notes right now at this moment, somebody asked me in the green room, they said, is this your first time here in San Marcos? I said, no, it's my second time. I said, I never preached here before, but I walked this building when it was empty. I walked it when it was empty with Pastor Jurgen, and we walked through it, and he was pointing out to me where the auditorium was going to go. He took me to the first floor. We came down to the second floor. I was amazed at this building, and I was amazed at his vision. But to find out that it actually became completed, and there were holdups, I know there were, um, there were change orders that were, that were happening, and there was frustration that your pastor was going through, but the reason why he went through everything he went through is because he knew that you'd be seating, sitting in these seats, and you would hear the Word of God. So when I knew that Jurgen and Leanne were already pushing forward and Matt was going to be here, I already knew this was going to be amazing. But you have only been here since October, and look how much it has grown. When Mike asked, how many of you, this is your first time, handfuls of you said, this is your first time. But since October, everybody's had a first time. And as a result of your first time being in this room, you are currently in this building, and you are part of this great congregation in San Marcos, and God is doing something amazing. Somebody say amen. Amen. So this doesn't just happen. This doesn't just happen. Churches like this all over America do not just pop up. It actually takes hard work and sacrifice. It takes everything to be able to create a big church. And I'm absolutely grateful for this church. When I look at the scripture, I begin to think in the parable of the talents. In Matthew chapter 25, verse 14 to 30. If you'd come with me in your Bibles there. The Bible tells us in Matthew chapter 25. It says, again, the kingdom of heaven can be illustrated. Watch this. It may not be on the screen, but it's going to be right here. Listen to this can be illustrated by a man going on a long trip and he called together his servants and trusted his money to them while he was gone and he gave five bags of silver to one two bags of silver to another and one bag of silver to the last dividing it in proportion to their abilities and then he left on his trip so it's called the parable of the talent so if you could imagine he to one he gives five he says this is your ability i'll give you five right? That, that's the Elon Musk's of the day, right? The Elon Musk, you get five. Well, actually, Elon, you get ten. Then there's everybody else who gets two, and then everybody else that gets one. The master goes on a trip, doesn't tell him what to do, doesn't tell him what to, um, how to do it. He just goes on a trip, and you said, Matt, earlier that we are stewards, and that's exactly what they needed to do. They needed to steward what God gave them. So they began to take, the guy with two took his two, automatically made it four. The guy with five automatically made his ten. But the guy with the one talent for one reason or another decided that this was too small that maybe God had underestimated his value and decided that if that's the way that you see me well I'm just going to bury it and I'm not going to bring back anything other than what you previously gave me and so he says to the one with the two talents who made it four he says well done my good and faithful servant you've been faithful in the little things I'm going to put you in charge of many come and join your master's happiness then to the guy with the five talents who now made it ten he says well done my good and faithful servant you've been faithful with the little that I've given you come and enjoy your master's happiness now enter into the joy of the Lord but the guy with the one talent said this he says I knew you uprooted where you never planted and I know that you harvested where you never made seed So as a result, I've brought back to you my one talent to you. 
here for safekeeping. The master looked at him in disgust and frustration and said, give to him who has more. Give it to him. I want you to take what you've got and go to the outside where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. When we look at this story, I want to share with you something that is very important to my life in the last 30-something years of being a Christian. And I want to share with you a message called The Secret Sauce to Making Life Work. The secret sauce to making life work. The secret sauce to making life work is, is simple. It's actually called excellence. Excellence. Excellence in everything that you do. As a matter of fact, excellence in Daniel chapter 6 verse 3. It tells us that Daniel was a man of excellence in the Old Testament. It says, now Daniel so distinguished himself among the administrators and the satraps by his exceptional qualities that the king planned to set him over the entire kingdom. Daniel chapter 1 verse 20 it says and every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king inquired of them he found them 10 times better than all the magicians and the enchanters that were all in his kingdom think about this for a moment 10 times better that you and I can actually be 10 times better than anybody else why because you and I have the spirit of God somebody say amen, amen. As a matter of fact, there was another man who was excellent. His name was Caleb. In Numbers chapter 14, verse 24, it says, Because my servant Caleb has a different spirit, watch this, and follows me wholeheartedly, I will bring him into the land that he went to, and his de descendants will inherit it forever. Look at this. Here it is. The first thing, number one, the secret sauce. The secret sauce to making life work. Number one is be a blessing and not a burden. Be a blessing and not a burden. Uh, wherever you work, whatever you do, are you a blessing or are you a burden? Uh, are, 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 do you have integrity or do you lack it? Are, is your word your bond or can they count on you? Can they make sure that when you say you're going to get it done, that you're going to get it done? Um, you have to be a blessing and not a burden. As a matter of fact, you have to be a help and not a hindrance. When I look at my life, I've started off at, at, at a restaurant. I, I, I started off at the Willows restaurant in Hawaii. Um, before that, I worked for the airlines. Before that, I, I pumped gas. Uh, I, did, I sold pizza. I did a lot of different things. As a matter of fact, I learned reliability because of my parents. My parents made sure that if you're going to do it right, you better do it right the first time. Uh, the Bible tells us in Proverbs 22, verse 1, it says, A good name is more desirable than riches, to be esteemed more than silver or gold. So when you actually have the kind of personality or the kind of response that people are looking for, you, it doesn't matter. You don't have to be gregarious. You don't have to be outgoing. You don't have to be infectious. You don't have to be loud. You can just be you and still be a blessing to your business and you're to the place that you work at and not a burden. Proverbs 22 verse 1 says, a good name is more desirable than riches to be esteemed more than gold. So when I look at this, this is actually your brand. What is your brand? You always say, Mike, I don't have a logo. Uh, I, I, don't, I, I don't know my own business. What's your brand? Your brand is what people say about you. That's what your brand is. So what are people saying about you? Are you a, actually a blessing or are you actually a burden? I'm sure you are a blessing. Think about this for a moment. A blessing and not a burden. When you are a blessing to other people, Abraham, the, the covenant promise was given to Abraham. God said to Abraham, you will be a blessing throughout all the nations. I will bless those who bless you. I will curse those who curse you. And all the nations of the earth will be blessed by you. So we are actually called to be a blessing more than anything else. Somebody say amen. amen. 
Number one, we're to be a blessing. The second thing is this. Number two, we need to be solution-oriented. Solution-oriented. The Bible tells us how beautiful are the feet of those who bring the good news. The good news of the gospel, yes, but the good news on a solution. So when you go to work tomorrow, you're going to bring solutions. You're not going to just bring problems. I tell my staff, tell me the problem, but give me three different solutions. Don't don't make me figure out how to do it. I want to see how you think because I want to see if you are solution-oriented. When we think about great Christians throughout history, they were solution-oriented. As a matter of fact, they brought great solutions. The first one on the screen I believe we have is number one would be the inventors. The different inventors, George Washington Carver, he was a great inventor. He took that peanut and he did everything and anything that you could think of with the peanuts. Then you look at Thomas Edison. Thomas Edison was a believer. George Washington Carver, most definitely. Thomas Alva Edison, he had the mind of Christ for him to become one of the greatest inventors in the history of the world. These are Christ followers. These are people filled with the Holy Spirit who see things the way nobody else sees them. They come up with creative solutions. The next one are the artists. Look at the artist. Oh, sorry about the, uh, thank you for the fig leaf. We have to put a fig leaf there. <laughs> it's a family church, right? So look at this. You've got Leonardo da Vinci. You've got Michelangelo. They were filled with the Spirit of God when they began to create what they created. You have that same mind. The scholars, look at the scholars. You look from Erasmus, and then you look to Galileo. They all looked to God as their inspiration to be able to see what nobody else could see. Now you look at the next group. You look at literature. You look at the Gutenberg Press. The Gutenberg Press, if it were not created, it would be the job of scribes in dark places with candlelight and, and, and the mass production is so slow. When you throw in the Gutenberg Press, now all of a sudden, the Bible is mass produced as fast as they can, and it is now in the hand of every believer, and now they begin to read the priesthood of all believers, and then you have a man named Martin Luther, who is now enlightened by the scriptures that everybody else gets to read, and he takes his 99 thesis and puts them on the wall in Germany, and now you start the Protestant Reformation, and the Reformation begins as a result of what God was doing with these people. Think about this for a moment, and then the last one would be the Reformers. The reformers, like Martin Luther King. And then after the reformers, you have to look at all of the different, the, 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 um, the different uh, explorers and all of this. You and I have everything that they have and even more. You have the Holy Spirit in you. We have the mind of Christ. And our job is to bring creative solutions to the rest of the world. In Jesus' name, somebody say amen. Okay. I should have gave a disclaimer. This is different from every message that I ever preached in this church. When I was at Emerge Camp, it was all rah-rah. It was testosterone and a whole lot of meat. Okay? I've preached other messages at other campuses in La Jolla. You name it. I've done it different. This one, I should have warned you, is different. This is more like you can use tomorrow. You can use everything here in this church tomorrow. But this is more like a seminar style. So I just wanted to let you know right up front. Actually, I want to let you know right up in the middle. (laughs) I should have told you up front. Okay, this is the way my brain works. I'm a little, a little, you know, like crazy. But I want to share with you the third one is this. If you want the secret sauce to life and to work, to making life work, 
When you go to your job, you want to get promoted, here's number three. Number three, don't be a person that is always having drama at your workplace. So number three, you got to rise above the drama. Rise above the drama. Don't add to it. As a matter of fact, be a solution in that place. You don't want to be the person that's always being, jumping into the gossip. You don't want to be a person that's always being part of the problem rather than part of the solution. You don't want to be that person that your boss is staying up late at night because he's irritated with you because you're always bringing drama wherever you go because you're always in your feelings. Uh, that was for the 40 and under crowd. And all the other people are like, oh, yeah, let's go, let's go, let's go. Tell them, pastor, tell them, pastor, tell them. You know why I know about drama? Because I had a lot of it. I don't know about you, but I had a lot of it. I've been a pastor for 19 years of my own church with my beautiful wife, Lisa. I was a youth youth pastor before that for five years. For two years before that, I was a young couples pastor with me and Lisa. We, we, we basically put on events and, and, and we had young couples um, in connect groups. That's what we did. But before that, and before that, and before I met Lisa, I was a young 19-year-old single father trying to make life work. I grew up in church, but not in a church like this. I went to a church that I'm thankful for, but the religion was here, and it never went here. I could recite every prayer that you can think of. I knew how to genuflect. I was an altar boy. I loved the house of God, even though I didn't really realize it really was a house of God. I didn't understand that. I was more fearful, more than faithful. You know what I'm talking about? And I went away from my small town of 2,000 people, my graduating class of 110 in Hawaii. I'm born and raised in Hawaii. My, mom is, my, my mom's half Filipino, half Italian. How's that happen? World War II. That's how that happened. <laughs> Beautiful Filipino nurse meets handsome Italian Marine. That's how that happened. And my dad is Hawaiian, Chinese, Norwegian, Scottish, you name it, he's got it. And they both came together, and they had four, si- four children. I'm number two, so I have the middle child syndrome because the next one's a sister. The no- next one's a baby brother. I got all the hand-me-downs. Can't give it to my sister because she's a girl. She get everything brand new. And the younger brother, four years younger, he gets a- just taking out my violin. I don't know if someone can I get a witness in this place for all the middle children in the house of God. <laughs> Rise above it. It's what they say. That's what they say. And so I go to the University of Hawaii. I'm bright-eyed, bushy-tailed. I've got more people in my dormitory than I had in my hometown, and I am lost, lost, lost. I figure out that you can go to school and nobody was going to check up on you. I couldn't believe it, but I was still smart enough to keep my GPA up there. I was in the Air Force ROTC. I wanted to be in the Air Force. This is before Top Gun. This is before Tom Cruise. This is 1985. Top Gun came out in 86, okay? All right, do the math on my age, now stop. And so now all of a sudden, I meet this girl, I fall in love, what I think is love. She's my first girlfriend, never really had one growing up. I loved girls, they didn't really like me. I was a little shorter. I go back to my 30-year class reunion, I go, how you like me now? But never mind, I'm moving right along. You had your chance 30 years ago, but it's too late now, I'm taken. And then, I fall in love, I'm blinded, you know what I'm talking about, and then I'm not going to class, I'm not the same person, and then before I know it, I'm about to break up, and I find the news that I am going to be a father. Hit me like a ton of bricks, but I shouldn't have been surprised. And so, I did the right thing, we did the right thing, and we kept the baby, and the baby became a beautiful little girl. 
This beautiful little girl became my lifesaver. In the next two years of our life, it was the worst for both her mother and I. We had no God in the middle of our relationship. I was, she left when I was 21 and left me with our daughter. Um, she had her own problems. I definitely had my own problems. But now for the next year, two, from the age of 21, this was the worst year of my life. If you look at those eyes, they're green, but they're actually empty. I'm suicidal and I'm homicidal. I want to kill myself, but I want to kill somebody first. And then my life just begins to spiral downward. I'm working for a pizza hut. I'm working, sorry about the name. I'm working at a restaurant, pizza restaurant. I'm working, I'm pumping gas, and I'm looking at my future, and I'm going, I'm supposed to be way ahead, further ahead than this. During that time, my friends kept telling me that you got to go to church. I said, I don't want to go to church. I already know what church is. And they said, no, it's not that kind of a church that you grew up in. It's a Christian church. What is it? It's a charismatic Christian church. All I see when you say that word with four channels and cable is blue hair. You know what I'm saying? And I'm like, that Christianity? I'm sorry, I don't want that one if that's all you got. He says, no, you got to come to my church. So I don't want to go to church. He says, no, you got to come to church. I don't want to go to church. Get off my back, Brandon. Get off my back. You know that guy at work, right? Yeah. Anyway, praise God for that guy. <clears throat> so I don't want to go to church. I don't want to be with Jesus freaks. That's what I called them back then. And I don't want to go. And then finally, within about six months to about a year, I, I believe, and it was a blur of my life. And he said to me, Mike, you got to come. I said, I don't want to go to church. They saw me getting worse. They saw me getting thinner. I was stressed out. I was on edge all the time. And they said, you got to come to church. He says, if you come to church, I'll buy you breakfast. <clears throat> when you're broke, you go for breakfast. <laughs> and I was broke. I was raising my daughter by myself. He said, we'll go to breakfast. Don't ever estimate the power of bacon. I just want to say. And this is before Apple smoked bacon. We never heard of Apple with smoked bacon in the 90s. I'm totally going off script. Is this okay? Okay, is this better? Oh, I was getting nervous. So I will come over here because you guys are a little bit quieter. So I go to church for the first time. It's 45 minutes to get there. I get there and I can hear the drums, you know, doom, doom, chak, doom, 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 chak. and I'm scared because I'm this religious boy that doesn't practice his religion anymore. And I walk in and my heart is going, doom, doom, chak, doom, doom, doom. I'm getting nervous. My first time to church, I'm scared. How many of you felt that way when you walked into Awaken, right? I'm like, this is crazy. And I walk in and then all of a sudden I see, I sit, they, everybody's hugging everybody. And like, I'm like, I'm, I'm, I'm broken, but I look, do I look that bad? Like I need to be hugged that much? I got hugged like six times on the way to row two. By the way, who puts the new guy in row two? <laughs> who puts the new guy in row two? <laughs> and I'm in row two, and I'm reading the words to the transparencies of worship, and my, I'm a karaoke singer, not karaoke. We call it karaoke, the Japanese way. I'm a karaoke singer. Back in the 90s, man, Unchained Melody, that was my song. Careless Whisper, let me do it for you right now. Wham, make it big. That was me. They would give me the dollar. Can you please sing the song? No problem. I got this. That's how I drowned my sorrows during that time. And then I walk into church, and I see the transparencies and the overhead head projector and I'm reading the words you know what they look like they look like love songs to God that's a love ballad to God a love ballad that's a Lionel Richie love ballad to God and I'm tripping out because I could put her name there instead it's God's name 
says, I love you, I need you, and all of a sudden, something happens in my heart, and I'm crying in row two in a cafeteria of an overhead projector worship type of church, and there's this lady with her hand on the small of my back rubbing my back. I said, well, what's going on here? I'm like, I'm crying, but you Christians, oh my gosh, what are you doing, lady? What are you, oh my gosh, I was like, really uncomfortable. But I let it happen. I let it happen. I figured the Holy Spirit was ministering. I don't know. But at the end of that service, I don't remember what pastor said. All I knew is this was I felt the love of God. All I knew is that I felt accepted. All I knew is this is what I needed because I had so much drama in my life. So much drama. Thank you. And then I gave my life to the Lord and I'm thinking, okay, my, my life's going to be great. She's going to turn around. She's going to want to come back. That this is all going to work out. Three more years. I wait. And three more years of God's transformation. The test of are you going to still follow me if it doesn't work out the way that you want it to work out. And I was still following him. There were times when I'm like, God, I'm praying. God, I'm asking. God, you know we need this. You got to put this back together. And it wasn't happening. And we tried five or six times. Couldn't handle the change that was going on in me. You can take off that picture. Please, thank you. That's, I look better than that today. And, 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 I, and you can take that. Thank you. And then... That doesn't just happen. I'm just saying, that's God. Anyway, moving right along. That's the title of my new book. But anyway, God is doing something, and it does not happen, and I wait. And finally, after three years, when the writing was on the wall, and I waited three years, the writing is on the wall. I could have forgiven, and I did, but still it was not to be. At the end of that third year, I still kept my ring on. I took off my ring for another year, for that one more year, and I said, Lord, then... See, you got to remember, I was single and celibate as I waited. There's a difference. There's a difference. Single and celibate. And I remember praying at the end of that one year. I said, Lord, if I can ever get married, because I don't have time to find a wife. I don't have time to go in the club. You know what I'm saying? I'm not going to the club. That's where I found them the last time. It worked out so hot for me. I got to find her in church. But I cannot be that guy creeping in church. I'm feeling too old for an internship. I'm thinking, I'm thinking diapers and babysitting fees. My peers are thinking stereos and girls. You know what I'm talking about? I feel like an old man. So I said, Lord, if I can ever get married again, I'm going to tell you right now, to be honest, that three years of drama, it was, let's give it five, was the toughest days of my life. I had to hustle like crazy to make money. I worked three jobs, all of them part-time, to somehow become one full-time job. I, 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 there were times I'd lie in my bed, and I would cry out of frustration, but I would never let anybody see me cry. It was a period of my life that if you looked at me wrong, we would get into a fight. It was that time of my life where I was at a stopping light and I got out of my car because this guy was tailing me too close and he kept giving me the bird with his middle finger, the Hawaiian shaka reverse, the reverse Hawaiian shaka. <laughs> and I got in my car and I terrorist, terrorized the man, the young boy in his car with his, with his wife, girlfriend and his friend. That's where I was. 
It was the worst, most difficult time of my life. But when I gave my life to the Lord, he changed me from the inside out. No longer. My biggest problem, I didn't have a purpose. My purpose was to go into the Air Force. My purpose was to play D1 basketball. My pur- that was all what I wanted to do. When that all fell apart because of what I did and needed to live up to my responsibility, that's when I lo- felt like I lost my purpose. When I came to the church for the first time, not like this, but, but close to it, this is amazing. I came in brokenhearted, suicidal, homicidal, but desperate for God. And I didn't even know it. You may not have been as down and out as I was. You may be doing very, very well in your life, but you still got an emptiness. That still is what is the meaning of my life? Why am I here on this earth? And I tell you right now, because you're here for a reason. And the reason is for you. The, 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 it is your privilege to discover your purpose. It is your privilege. God is not just going to unveil it to you all the time like he does to a handful of people. He makes you draw nearer to him. He he puts you to this refiner's fire. He takes the dross from your life so that you are absolutely purified to the place where you know why you have been placed here on this earth. Let me finish because I promised you I'd give you the secret sauce to making life work. And there's so much more than this. But the first one is number one, be a blessing, not a burden. Number two, be solution oriented. Number three, rise above the drama. But here's number four. Number four, you have to initiate and anticipate. You have to initiate and anticipate. In other words, you have to make it happen. Don't wait for somebody to tell you to make it happen. No, don't wait for the boss to come in and give you the checklist. Create your own checklist. Make things happen. Here's number four. Number five, you have to level up, raise the bar, and set the standard. You have to level up, raise the bar, and set the standard. So if you're not living up to the expectations of your position or what is expected out of you, well, level up. Don't cheat the system. Don't cheat your boss or the government. Level up and get to where you need to be. Otherwise, you're going to be like the guy in the parable of the talents who buried his one and got nothing for it. As a matter of fact, he got a strong reprimand for not doing anything with what he had been given and stewarding that. Number number two, raise the bar. What do I mean by raise the bar? We always say it, it, right? Raise the bar. Well, it doesn't really fit in the gym when you talk about it. Raise the bar. No, it's actually referred to the Fosbury flop if you know high jumping. Back in the day, the high jump, you would approach the high jump, and before you would jump, you would actually go one leg over and just tumble yourself that way, right? You just would jump over with one leg, try to hope to get your torso over it, and flip onto the bar and get up. But then there was a man who developed what was called the Fosbury flop for the very first time. He would run and approach it, and when he would plant and throw himself backwards over and land, he would hit the cushion and it would yell, raise the bar. And they would raise the bar another inch. He would do it again, do the same flop, and he'd get up on the, on the, on the cushion and he'd go, raise the bar. And they'd raise it another inch. And that's what it means to raise the bar. You've got to level up, raise the bar, and what? And now you set the standard. The standard of excellence. Because here's why. Excellence accelerates everything. Excellence. Excellence in speech. Excellence in the way that you carry yourself. Excellence in your attitude. You will become 10 times better because of your excellence. Excellence, number one, is an accelerator. Number two, excellence is also, what is it? 
is, is also, excuse me, number one, it's an accelerator. Number two, I know this by heart. Here it is. Don't even look. It's an elevator. It takes you higher. It'll get you higher. Accelerator will get you faster. An elevator will get you higher. Excellence number three is a separator. It'll get you further. It will get you further. If you have an excellent spirit and an excellence work ethic, then you will go higher, further, and faster than anybody else because of your spirit of excellence. Somebody say amen. 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 We can invite the worship team up. And my last and final point is here. Number six is you've got to go the extra mile. You got to go the extra mile. Don't do just what's expected of you. Do a little bit more and then do a little bit more and then do a little bit more. More. As a matter of fact, don't overpromise and underdeliver. Be that person that delivers more time and time again. Because why? Because we are people of excellence and we are Christians. Too many times Christians are characterized by having subpar work. Not us and not awaken. We are people of excellence in everything we do. Somebody say amen. Amen. When I think about this, I think about, I think about when we go the extra mile. The extra mile, that's biblical. That's not business. It's biblical. As a matter of fact, you might know the story, but for some of you who are brand new, just like I was, when I didn't hear this before, I was like, wow, that's amazing. The Romans used to occupy Israel. And a Roman soldier, it was noted, could conscript anyone into his service of the people of Israel. Hey, come with me. You're going to carry my pack. And you could grab anybody. You could grab a grandma if you wanted. You could grab a, a young guy if you wanted. And he would be required to carry your knapsack, his knapsack of a Roman soldier or centurion for one whole mile. That was the law for one whole mile. But Jesus said, don't just go one mile. He says, go the extra mile. Go the extra mile. And when you go the extra mile, you will go further as a result of you doing more than what people expect. What they're looking at when you work, your business, you own a business, your staff who don't know Jesus yet, they're watching you. They may not be watching you like a hawk, but they're watching you to see if your example is real and are you legit. And then, and then if you are legit, then that gives you an opportunity to share your faith in a world that is going crazy like never before. And you can bring them to, God, to the gospel. You can bring them to church. You can buy them breakfast and bribe them with bacon. And you never know what God could do because this doesn't just happen. Excellence accelerates everything. Let's bow our heads and pray. Father, we just thank you for every heart and every person in this place. We thank you, Lord, that you've brought us to the house of the Lord. We thank you, Lord, for such a time as this, Lord, that you are doing amazing and mighty things in our hearts and in our minds. And Father, I thank you, Lord, that we would be people who have been differentiated because of our service to you, that we would be distinguished like Nehemiah was, where Nehemiah set himself apart so much that the king of Babylon allowed him return home for two to three years to be able to take on the task of rebuilding the walls of Jerusalem. This man of excellence. There are women of excellence like Esther. Father, thank you for the, of the original excellence in Jesus, our Lord and our Savior. 
But Father, we pray more than anything, Father, that you would continue to keep us moving forward, being filled with faith in all that we do. And Father, we thank you for the loving Jesus who has saved us, who's done everything as a result of his shedding of his blood that washes our sins as white as snow. So Lord, we honor you today. We bless you. We give you all the glory and all the honor in the name of Jesus. And everybody said, amen, amen, amen. Would you keep your eyes closed and your heads bowed for a few more moments? I want to lead you in the prayer that I prayed when I was 21 years old. And maybe you've never prayed this prayer before, or maybe you need to pray this again. And maybe after hearing this message and realizing that you need a savior like I did, I thought I was good. I thought, well, I know God. I'm okay if somebody asked me, if if you were to give your life, if you were to die tonight, do you know if you're going to go to heaven or not? I said, I hope I will. I believe I will. He says, you can't hope your way there and you can't believe your way there. You need to know for sure beyond a shadow of a doubt that when you die, your last breath on earth will be your first breath in heaven. You know, the greatest gift that Jesus gave us was not this ability to turn our lives around. The greatest gift that Jesus gave us was his blood that was shed on that cross that washes my sins and your sins as white as snow as if we had never sinned before. And that's what I needed. I needed a savior. I walked in one way, I walked out the other way. But I didn't just walk in because I needed him to help me in the here and now, but I needed him here and now. I needed him to rock me right now. I needed him to comfort me. I needed his help. I needed his assurance. I needed all of that. I needed a miracle. But what I needed more than anything was what I did not realize what I needed, and that was salvation. I needed his saving grace in my life, that when I, that my sins would be forgiven, that when I close my eyes and I open them after the prayer, that my life would never be the same, that there would be an inward work and an outward expression, that he would wash my sins as white as snow. As far as the east is from the west, that's how far he would remove my sin from me. Not only that, he would send it into the sea of forgetfulness, never to be remembered again because, man, I had some sins in my life. I wasn't innocent all the time. You know what I'm talking about? But what I also needed was his assurance that when I die beyond the shadow of a doubt, my last breath on earth would be my first breath in heaven and that I would be with him for all eternity and in his presence. And then I needed his strength for today and his hope for tomorrow. I needed all of that. So no matter where you are and where you've been and what you've done, no matter what's gone on in your life, no matter how, you've, how successful you are, no matter how religious you are, it doesn't matter what philosophy you grew up with. All I needed to know is this. Are you ready to turn in Jesus' direction and say, I need to surrender my life to him? And you know what you're going to find? You're going to find healing. You're going to find forgiveness. You're going to get heaven and you're going to have hope. And he's going to fill you with your faith and your life will never be the same. It'll actually be 10 times better in the name of Jesus. Can I get an amen? So at the count of three, I'm going to clap at the count of three. When I clap, I want you to stand right where you are. I'm not going to embarrass you. I just want you to take a bold stand. Because if you can stand in here, you can stand anywhere. You can stand anyhow in the name of Jesus. Amen? Amen. So here we go. If the Holy Spirit is resonating in your heart right now, if there's this tug that's going on, respond to that one versus the one that says to sit. It doesn't matter what you look like. Nobody cares. We just know that you and I need Jesus. And as you walk into Awakened Church, the Holy Spirit has met you, and Jesus is here to save you. Get ready. One, he will never let you down. Two, For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. Here we go. One, two, three.
Come on, stand up. Stand up right where you are. Come on, all over this room. Stand up right where you are. Come on. Yeah, come on. Stand up right where you are. Come on, God loves you. Stand up. Just right where you are. Just right where you are. Here we go. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve. God bless you. Thirteen and fourteen. Amen. Fifteen and sixteen and seventeen and eighteen. 19, 20, 21, 22, 23, 24, 25, 26, 27, 28, 29, 29, my brother, right there, 29. Amen. Come on, everybody, thank we thank the Lord. I want everybody to repeat this prayer after me, especially the 30 people that have stood up. Say, Jesus, please come into my life. Forgive me of my sins. Wash me clean. Thank you for salvation and forgiving me of all of my sins. I also thank you that when I die, I'll be in your presence for all eternity. But while I'm here, be my strength for today, my hope for tomorrow, my ever-present help in my time of need. You're my God. I'm your child. The old is past. The new has begun. I'm a new creation in Christ Jesus, created to serve you and to bring you glory from this day forward. In Jesus' name I pray. And everybody said, amen. Come on, everybody. Praise God. Thanks for listening. To find out more about our locations, team, and what we do here at Awakened Church, go to awakenedchurch.com.